Danny Johnson interviews Jesus on the subject of soul progression and the human iris. The interview took place in Brasilia, Goes, Brazil, on the 16th of August, 2012. Hello, my name is Denny Johnson, and I'm here with AJ and Mary behind the camera. And our topic today is about the iris of the eye and how that relates to natural health. And AJ, you have some feelings about how the natural health world utilizes medicine, mm -hmm. and maybe you can illuminate us about that. Yes, I think before we discuss the iris, which is a very important discussion, actually, um, we need to d have some general commentary, perhaps, uh, in terms of your own observation and my own, about uh, how mankind generally goes about using the medical profession. At the moment, the profession itself is responding to the demands of people that they don't address the cause of particular problems that they face medically, but rather that they attempt to solve the effect only. And this is why we have such a large variety of medicines, tablets, uh, medication that is given to people all around the world, but particularly in the Western world. And, and a lot of it is to avoid the underlying causes or to actually avoid the, even the topic of even having to go to the underlying cause. And I feel that this is the main problem that we have in the medical profession on the planet. When we, when we, have a, when we see how we are constructed, we, ha we are a soul connected to two bodies. And the two bodies are the spiritual body and the physical body. Now, I suppose you could say most in mainstream medical profession, with the exception perhaps here in Brazil, of those medical prof professionals here in Brazil, around the rest of the world, most of them focus primarily on the physical body and trying to cure any of the effects that are caused by disease on the physical body. Um, here in Brazil, there's a bit more of a holistic approach even within the medical profession, isn't there? Yes, they're probably more focused on the spiritual body, but they really seldom really relate to the soul. Yes. So, so if you look at the both, uh, both the professions in the Western world and also man many of the Eastern type of philosophies from a medical perspective, you can see they're either focused on the physical body or they're focused on the spirit body. And they're focused on either one of those two uh, being cured in order to create happiness and well-being in the person or in the patient. And uh, this is where the soul is completely neglected. And the soul being what I believe to be the cause of all problems in both bodies is the thing that is actually neglected completely almost in every, in every form of medical practice. And, and in fact, we become addicted to trying to cure the effects without even understanding the cause. And uh, this is something, you know, when I say the cause, I'm not talking about the cause that's in the physical body because what science is uh, generally focused on is trying to find the cause of something in the physical body. Why does the physical body produce a certain disease or why does it produce a certain sickness? What, what's going on is the question they're constantly asking themselves without even many of them even looking at the fact that we have a spirit body that could be also affecting the physical yes. body. But then to go one step further and say, no, there is actually a soul that affects both bodies. And if you cure the soul, both bodies automatically are recovered. 
Um, this is something that is generally beyond the medical profession at this point in time. Um, but, but it could easily be experimented with, with a bit of knowledge about, uh, about the whole system that makes up a human, but also with a bit of knowledge about the iris. And that's where the linkage comes in with the iris. So that's where I feel the medical profession is currently. And, and it's not so much uh, their own fault either. The mankind has become addicted to just getting rid of the effects of things. So when everybody speeds, we put a speed sign, hoping that that will somehow cure the speeding. And of course it never does and, and all that people do is what I noticed here they do in Brasilia is they drive 80 or 90 kilometres an hour along the road until the 60 sign with the radar is there and yes, then they slow down exactly. to the 60. With the camera. <laughs> with the camera. The camera takes a picture of them doing 60 and then off they speed again at 80 or 90 kilometres an hour. So the camera and the speed sign made no difference to their behaviour really uh, with the exception of the threat of getting caught. And, and this is, the, I feel, the problem generally, is we make laws that try to cure the effect of a problem without addressing the underlying cause of the problem. And this is something that is also dominant in the medical profession. What I like about the discussion about the iris is now we're having to consider that there perhaps is a cause that is soul-based and the bodies will reflect the particular soul-based cause if we understand how the reflection occurs. And the eye is the perfect reflector of the soul. It is, in fact, the doorway into the soul. Well, the eye is a fascination for many people inside the medical profession and outside, but especially in the medical profession. They, they like to look. There's something about looking in there that brings them inside. Mm -hmm. So I've seen the medical profession here be very open to the instructions about what the iris might represent. Mm -hmm. For us to be able to describe what it means from a divine perspective and to be able to help them understand that I think might be a service. Yes, definitely. And also then we could look at how to um, address particular medical problems with the aid of, uh, of focusing on the cause of the problem, which is at the soul level of the individual rather than trying to just continuously address the effects by using some kind of therapy or some kind of medical procedure. Well, you know, one of the advantages I think we have here, other than, say, North America or Europe, is that the allopathic systems of North America are not as dominant here. In Brazil, there was a policy decision decades ago to avoid the allopathic approach, which is arriving more strongly now, mm -hmm. and go toward homeopathy, yeah. which is more the use of the subtle vibrations. And so they're more interested in the spiritual body than in North America. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of work here with spirits. So there's a lot of things about taking spirits out of the spiritual body. Yeah but they're not really relating that to the development necessary in the condition of love. And therefore the development of the soul. Right. Mm. Yeah, so it's something we observe, have observed here during our trip, isn't it? This, uh, this focus on I, I want there to be some kind of procedure or therapy that I can undertake that, that helps me avoid the emotional process of having to deal with something. So what is that, what is that connection between the the soul, the spiritual body, and the physical body. Is there like a one-way street? Is, there, is it just a silver cord? What is that continuous connection? 
Well, if you could think of your physical body as the, um, the device that your soul uses to express and itself and experience the physical world. So in that way, you could say that it's a sensory apparatus that is absorbing lots of different, from lots of different sensory inputs and experience, which then it, it gathers as a part of your memories in your soul. Your spirit body is the same, but it, it interfaces with the spirit realm. So there are many multidimensional areas in the spirit realm, and the spirit body is, is perfectly adapted to experiencing and having the sensory fulfillment of the spiritual realm coming through and being remembered by the soul. So you could say that the physical body is connected through a cord which spirits often refer to as the silver cord, but it's actually basically a cord that connects the complete system of the physical body to the spirit body. And therefore the spirit body uh, automatically experiences everything that the physical body is experiencing. On top of that, there is a cord, another cord that, that connects the spirit body to the soul. So everything that the spirit body experiences is also filtered to the soul. But the soul envelops both bodies. It, it, the bodies are contained within it. And as a result of that, whatever is happening in the soul has the greatest effect upon the two spot, upon the two bodies it even has more of an effect than the external sensory things that occur to the bodies have an, than the effect they have upon the soul so the soul controls the bodies every physiological function in your physical body is controlled by the soul and every physiological function in your spirit body is also controlled by the soul the energy systems that flow through both bodies are both controlled by the soul and, and its welfare. And if you can see that the soul is the centre of the human experience, then everyone will understand much better that, that if we have a disease in the soul, then the bodies naturally are going to experience some kind of discomfort, suffering, pain or disease. If there is a clearing of these diseases of the soul... Then, then the bodies will naturally have a clearing effect and therefore less disease or less problems. So all disease originates in the soul? Well, the underlying cause for the attraction of all diseases rests in the soul, yes. The, uh, many of these diseases are physical in nature or spiritual in nature, and this includes the attraction of spirits to the body of a person which can interfere with the spirit body's energy systems. They are all uh, controlled by what occurs at the soul. So the soul has total dominion over the two bodies that are connected to it. And if we can keep that in mind in all of our analysis of everything, including uh, what we're going to discuss about the iris, then we'll have a great head start in looking at the true cause of any disease. Is the soul then the original point of the life force that is eternal? Um, yes, the soul um, is the real you. It, if you could think of it, it's, it's sort of like a container, like a glass. If you could imagine this is your soul, you can place things in the soul and you can pour things out of the soul but whether the soul is empty or full, it is still the soul itself. It is the container of you, the individual of yourself, your real self. 
Now, the bodies which are connected to the soul, the physical body and the spirit body, are both connected to this soul. And these are ways through which the half of the soul, because remember we're only one half of the soul for much of our existence, um, we, the, the two bodies are the sensory apparatus for the soul to experience the world in which it exists. So every time, all the time we are awake on the planet Earth, our physical body is the, is the primary sensory apparatus for the soul to experience its life. When we go to sleep at night and our soul and our spirit body uh, leaves our physical form, now our spirit body becomes the primary sensory apparatus for which the soul experiences its life. The soul is experiencing life 24 hours by 7 days a week, by 365 days a year and so forth. And in fact, uh, the soul can even be in a place where there is the no real sensation of time because, uh, because time is very much uh, based upon space and distance uh, with that we experience here on earth. So the soul, you could say, is the eternal your, you that can develop positively or can be um, degraded negatively depending upon what you place into it or what comes out of it. Can both they can both degrade the soul, and the soul itself can shrivel in its nature. In other words, it can shrink in its capacity to experience, or the soul itself can expand. And this shrinkage will have an effect on both of the bodies, in that the energy systems of both bodies will also shrink and therefore become less powerful, less less life force in them, or they can expand. And therefore, the physical and spirit bodies can expand in their power and development and life force. Unfortunately, what happens with our soul is that we, we shrink our soul when it comes to the development in love in particular on the planet so much that eventually our physical body can no longer maintain a connection with the soul. And, and once this occurs, the physical body actually dies. And, uh, and that's because the soul can no longer keep feeding the spirit the physical body its energy because the soul does not have enough energy to maintain this this physical body anymore if there was no damage to the soul the physical body would be able to be maintained of its energy for for long periods of time and potentially for for uh, everlastingly forever if we wanted it to occur that way but, but unfortunately, because the soul is degrading generally in its condition, both uh, with regard to love, but also in regard to its own energy, the flow of its own recuperative energies, as a result of that, it affects both of the bodies negatively so much that eventually the body that requires the greatest amount of physical energy to maintain, which is our physical body, eventually grows old and, and becomes decrepit and eventually dies as a result of the soul not being able to maintain its energy. Then, of course, uh, the person passes permanently into the spirit world and now their primary source of, uh, of ex sensual experience is through the spirit body. But the spirit body has also now been depleted in its ability to experience because of the soul's degradation. And so the spirit body even has major troubles with it with regard to its energy systems. And for this reason, it appears very dark. It has all sorts of fragments and fissures. It has all sorts of diseases present within it, even in the spirit world. And this is something that not many people are aware of. Even after you pass, 
you do not instantly become better. You do not instantly become the picture of health. Um, you, uh, you, your body, your spirit body, tells you the health of your soul. And everything is dependent upon the health of the soul. Did I hear you say once that the spirit attachment occurs on the spirit body level but does not occur on the soul level? Is that correct? That's correct, yes. It's impossible for another person at, at their spirit level to, to connect to your spirit body. Every connection must occur at the level that it, that it is maintained. We can have a soul-to-soul connection, but the way God designed the soul is that the soul can never be overcloaked by another person. It can absorb the energy of another person but it cannot be manipulated and controlled by the other person without the soul being open to that control. The spirit body, though, is far more open to control because of its energy systems. When the soul's energy is depleted, the spirit body starts having holes in its energy systems, which then can be fulfilled by other people. And this is how spirits generally connect to other people. In fact, many spirits see the spirit body of a child as a vehicle for reincarnation. So, so even reincarnation itself as a teaching is not a true, re, to, true teaching. It is actually just spirits attempting to re-experience their life on earth by connecting to the spirit body of a child that they see as a vehicle f- for reincarnation. Let me ask you a basic question because there, are, in, a, in a gentle way, there are two basic approaches in natural medicine. One is something to do with the biochemical <coughs> and something to do with the vibrational, if I may put it in those simple terms. Mm-hmm. Is it true that some tools like um, acupuncture or homeopathy, do they work on the spiritual body or on the physical body? Well, both bodies are connected with each other via the silver cord. So anything that you do to the physical body will enter the spirit body, and vice versa also, in that anything you do to the spirit body will have some kind of effect on the physical body. So, for example, if there are a number of spirits attached to the spirit body and the, and, a, and the spirit removes those particular spirits, those people who are attached, then, of course, the life force or the energy systems of the spirit body will be improved, markedly improved, and therefore the physical body will have a marked improvement in its, in its seeming, and, and in many cases seemingly seems to be healed. Um, so, so there is this connection that occurs between these two bodies. And it's important to understand that some uh, modes of, you know, of procedures um, affect both bodies, of course. So some procedures affect just the physical, but the majority of procedures, even surgical procedures, affect both the spirit body and the physical body because of the connection that occurs between the two bodies. So um, this is very important to understand, I feel, for the medical profession. If you see a person just as a physical person and you feel that you're just operating on their physical form so therefore only their physical person will be affected this is not a true assumption because the two forms are connected with 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 a complete sensory apparatus to reflect the connection and that means that everything that happens to the physical body will have some kind of effect on the, physical, on the spiritual body and everything that happens to the spiritual body will have some kind of effect on the spirit body. 
I saw the uh, diagram that you did once, diagramming the physical <laughs> body in an outline and the spiritual body in an outline around that, mm -hmm. and also the soul as a, a circle or a light around that. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the structure of the soul, the spirit body, and the physical? Yes, obviously these are three-dimensional structures but, mm -hmm. but if, and, and very geometric in patterning depending upon the condition of the soul. But if we think of it very simply as a physical form enveloped slightly with a spiritual form, in other words, the spirit form occupies the same space and a bit of extra space because the spirit form is a bit larger than the physical form but it occupies the same space in a different dimensional in a different dimension and the two uh, the physical and the f and the spiritual are basically overshadowing uh, the spirit over the spirit body overshadowing the physical and then if you can picture the soul as the envelope or the package that these bodies exist within and in fact all of the physiological systems in both bodies which are both genetic in structure they just have different genetic structures and both of these bodies have, uh, are enveloped by the soul and both therefore are completely controlled by the soul in terms of what happens to both of these bodies. Okay, so if the soul is in complete control, then our primary point of therapy is the soul. Yes, this is where any, any true healing must take place at the soul level for it to be permanent. Okay, so... How do we relate the soul to the iris? Well, this is the beautiful thing that God has done, I feel. And that is God has given us a window into the soul by through the eyes. The eyes are this perfect reflection of what is going on in the soul in three layers. The first layer is this pure, pure layer, which is the layer, if you like, of what God created and also the developmental of the pure layer. In other words, when we first begin our experience from the time of conception, we, are at, we now have the two bodies and the soul all connected to each other. Our half of the soul is connected to a spirit body and a physical body that are created at the time of conception. The instant this occurs, um, our soul begins manipulating, if you like, the genetic structure of both bodies. And, and in particular, our soul, it's our soul that everything is dependent upon in terms of how the genetic replication process even occurs. Once, if the soul, even in the womb, is ever disconnected from the, any, any body, and it can be disconnected from the physical body, then the instant there is a termination at that point in time. So that would be like, a, you know, what, what people call a miscarriage, for example, is where the soul can no longer maintain its connection with the, the, the physical body. And as a result, the physical body dies. It, it, the life force uh, it cannot be maintained in the physical body, even though the mother is alive. It makes no difference because it's the soul that actually is attached to that particular form. And the iris, as we develop, becomes the window of what's happening to the form in these three layers. The first layer being what happened... What, the, the true expression of the personality of the soul that God created and, and its development. So its development in any positive direction will also be recorded at one layer. The second layer is the injuries that are then imposed upon the soul um, through the emotional experience. In particular, it's the parents that affect these particular injury states, but also the environment, the belief systems of the entire world are affect, uh, do affect each individual child who is conceived and then born. 
and these systems become a second layer that is overlaid on top of the iris. And then there is a third layer. The third layer is what happens because of trying to avoid or deny the second layer. So the process of uh, feeling the second layer would, never me would mean that we would never create a third layer. But unfortunately, children at a very, very young age are shut down from their emotional experiences in all sorts of directions. And as a result, they have a, a denial begins to appear at that layer, denial of the injury, denial of even the experience of it. So the, the denial of grief, the denial of shame, the denial of anger and so forth. All of these things are suppressed in the child at the injury layer. And as a result of that, the next layer, which is the facade layer, the layer that the child creates in order to see itself, um, this begins to develop, and that's a third layer. And, and when you examine the iris, you will see each of these layers. Unfortunately, though, when we examine the iris, most of the time we see the third layer in the most detail. And the reason why this is the case is because it's obviously the layer that is the uppermost in, in terms of what's present within the soul and it's what the soul is presenting to the world and so therefore it's also what it's going to present in the iris and so this is where we see the dots and the blemishes that begin to appear on the iris over a period of time and they never seem to dissipate they never seem to disappear and uh, i don't know what you from your experience i think you've found that like for most people, they begin appearing when they're about two years of age. Is that correct, Any? Yes, there's a, a sequence of that development, much like you're describing it. And um, these blemishes that you're describing that arrive after two, there's, there are no, for example, brown dot-type structures in the iris of children under the age of two. Mm -hmm. Right around the age of two, where there is the, the becoming of the will or the, the, the action or the mind or the word, the child starts... You know, assuming its own direction and goes into creating structure in the iris. Mm -hmm. Now, most of that is complete by, for me, by the age of seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see very little actual structural change in people over the age of 12. Right. And photographically, in many years, I've not seen photographically these characteristics ever leave the iris, yes. which is what I'm most interested in, is how to reach the original causal structure of the iris and change the physical structure of the iris itself and demonstrate how to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas uh, I suppose you could say my focus is if we change the soul, then of course the iris itself will definitely change. And that's the, uh, that's the area that of my focus, as you know. So, and I feel these particular things, are, they are intertwined with each other, as, as you know. The, without doing some emotional work that affects the causal particular problems that, that cause the blemishes in the iris, then of course the iris cannot clear from these particular problems for the rest of its existence. And in fact, um, it may even add to them over the period of its future life. Although usually, most of the time, by the, person, by the time a person is a teenager they already have clearly defined structures that cause their denial of love and as a result most of their actions after that point of time have already been completely defined by the the condition of the soul by the time they are uh, completely engaging their own free will 
And so this is why you notice uh, the, the problems that appear in the iris begin around you know, the age of two. There are other problems that occur a little earlier that can be observed, but it's the major dot-based brown dot-based blemishes that you see beginning to uh, form shape from that point in time. By the time seven years of age uh, has reached, by the time the child has a, a fairly well-developed sense of itself, not yet completely developed, already the majority of the iris's blemishes have now appeared. And then by the time the child reaches the teenager, there, it, it is now pretty much all of those structures are now fairly firmly in place. Many of them are darker than they were when they were two years of age, but, uh, but very, very firmly in place now. And then for the rest of the person's life, they never see any change. So you feel it's possible for us to chart our soul's progress in the development of love by photographing the iris over a period of months and then comparing the photographs? Um, not only pho uh, so photographing the iris over a period of months is one step that needs to be taken, but without there being true change at the soul, then there will be no change in the iris. So the, the issue is you could photograph an iris today and if the person has not engaged true change for the next 10 years, you could photograph their iris in 10 years and see very little difference exactly. between the two, as you have personally seen. And, and in fact, this is why most people now believe that it's impossible to change the iris once the iris has it fully developed, its fully developed um, state. Um, my feelings are completely different to that. My feelings are... The, if you know how to change the soul at its causal emotional condition, then the iris will reflect over a period of time the changes that have been made in the soul. And therefore the iris itself will change. And uh, this is something that I've noticed with my own eye. I have had the opportunity to have comparisons done over periods of time and I've seen changes occur. My, eye were, were, my eyes were very bad at the time of 12 years of age, and now they are much clearer as a result of different types of emotional work I've done. But it has to be emotional work that is true, sincere, and based around love. It, it can't be emotional work that is addictive or insincere or based around just trying to change the eye. Boy, this is the hardest part. It's the most difficult part. And in fact, uh, if you look at the majority of emotions that a person experiences, the majority of them could be said to be the reflection of their addictions. So in other words, most people have addictions, and when their addictions do not get met, the primary emotion is rage or anger or frustration or annoyance. And these are one set of emotions that most people generally experience in their life. And then when their addictions do get met, then the, generally the feeling is happiness, joy, you know, love. They even equate addictions getting met as love. And, and this is the second set of uh, emotions that we need to address. And if we operate in the addiction, in that addictive area, where we either have our addictions met and we feel happy, or we have our addictions denied and we feel sad or otherwise, then this area is not the processing of emotion. And in fact, if a person processes those emotions only, there will be no change in the iris. None whatsoever. So we have our <laughs> task cut out because it's so much easier to take pills and do therapies and get symptom changes 
and people are very thankful because their symptoms have changed, but mm. in reality they've done nothing. Exactly, and, and as you know, their symptoms change usually only for a period of time, and then many times they have the same symptoms reoccur later in their life, and this is an indication that the underlying cause has not really been addressed. It's very rare, in fact, for a person's symptoms to change permanently, and, uh, and there are usually only one time when that occurs, and that is when spirits are removed from the person. But even then, the iris doesn't change, which is an indication that the underlying causal reason for any spirit attraction, for example, has yet to be addressed. And so we can start, if we, if we think of it this way, we can start to use the iris as a measuring stick, if you like, of whether we are medically getting at the true cause of something or whether we are just uh, skirting around with the edges of the effects of the particular thing we're looking at. So, assuming that we are doing it correctly, how fast would you expect to see changes? Well, the speed of change is very dependent upon the speed of the person being able to sincerely address causal emotional experiences. And this is quite a difficult process in comparison to what most people on earth uh, currently experience. Most people, as I said, on earth are currently in this, uh, this uh, engagement with their addictions where they are either having their addictions met and feeling good or having their addictions denied and feeling bad. And they express these emotions of anger, sadness, hurt, frustration, shame and whatever else that occurs when their addictions are not met. And they experience another group of emotions when their addictions are met. But the reality is that nothing is really changing. And so the, eye, the iris itself will, will show that nothing has changed during this entire process. To, to actually get out of that state and then go into this other state where we actually address the causal emotions inside of the soul that are reflected by the eye, um, to do that requires a lot more sincere and very, very deep emotional processing. It's the kind of emotional processing that the majority of people on earth believe is, is either crazy or unable to be maintained and most people in the medical profession actually at this point in time believe that it's unwise to even go to those particular locations emotionally. So in other words, we are taught from the moment that we are brought along to a medical professional that, that any instability emotionally is actually having a negative effect on us, while what I'm suggesting is that once we address the real causal emotion there will be this very intense, overwhelming emotional experiences that the majority of people will believe they cannot cope with and these are the types of experiences that have a healing effect on the iris and therefore a healing effect on the soul which will of course, once the soul is healed it will have an effect on both the spirit body and the physical body. Well, help me here for a moment. Um, how to simplify the ability to be able to get to the causal emotion. I mean, you've spoken about the, the key of humility as the primary, maybe the beginning point, humility to God. Mm -hmm. How can we actually do that? Well, I, I suppose you could say there are two ways that we can do it. And I've discussed these ways many times in presentations and, and, uh, and seminars. But if we examine the way that God refines the soul... There are basically two ways. One way 
is the way God uses to refine an unwilling soul and the other way is the way that God uses to refine a willing soul. So when we are unwilling, there is a one method that God uses to help refine our soul, to bring us into a state of love. And this method is by using a law that God has called the law of compensation. But the law basically states that every action that you take that is out of harmony with love, there will be a painful consequence. And this is your soul's feedback mechanism. Every action you take that is in harmony with love, there will usually be a pleasurable consequence. And this is, again, a positive feedback system. So, so the soul has this constant feedback system which is operating at every single moment of every single day, telling us when we are in or out of harmony with love. Now, this is assuming there is no addictions in the person. So we, we would have this discussion about the addictions in a minute. But assuming there is no addictions which of course is not a valid assumption because everyone has them generally, um, there would be this feedback system occurring perfectly, which is, this, uh, which is this law that God has. Many people in the spirit community, spiritual-based communities, call it karma, where they believe it has an effect on a future life. But what I'm stating is that no, anything the soul undertakes that is out of harmony with love, there is an instant feedback system occurring at the soul level. If you're sensitive enough to feel it, you would feel it. Mm-hmm. Many of us have desensitized ourselves, or even probably more accurately to state that our parents desensitized us to our souls by the time we were seven years of age. And so many of us don't feel, unfortunately, the negative impact upon our soul of our unloving decisions. But it is occurring. And, uh, and so our soul is, is accumulating these negative, negative experiences. It also accumulates positive experiences. So any positive experience we have that is in harmony with love also is accumulated within the soul as a, as a feeling of pleasure. Um, unfortunately, uh, many people on earth don't feel this pleasure either because uh, the earth is not very well geared to the experience of pleasure that's in harmony with love. And so many people on earth are not sensitive to those particular emotions either. However, the iris is. The iris is reflecting these particular experiences. So, so this is one way that we can engage this process. What we can do is we can start to see the actions that are taken and address these actions emotionally. We need to, and we can do this by ourselves if we wanted to. So what we could do is we could allow ourselves to release the unhealed emotional experience that has accumulated in the soul due to the denial of the soul's emotion. And we could release this in a manner without uh, using any external help we could release this, but we need to be prepared to be completely overwhelmed emotionally throughout the experience um, while we are releasing the emotion. And whenever that release had occurred, then there would be a reflection in the iris. This is what I believe to be a very slow way of doing it, but it is a way that we can engage. The second way of doing it would be to engage God in this process of what I'd call repentance and forgiveness. This process causes us to emotionally look at all of the things inside of me that, I, that have been the reason why I harmed you. And this is the issue of repentance. I would then examine these emotional causes inside of me. I would firstly need to see them, of course, and then I could examine them and feel them. And as I feel these emotions, I will repent or be sorry about the things that I have done. And I'll direct this feeling of sorrow towards yourself, towards God, because obviously there are some things that I can't fix inside of you once I've caused them. 
And, and so I allow that experience to occur. That's the process of repentance. As I go through that, I am releasing causal emotions that are, that are reflected in my iris. Secondly, this issue of forgiveness is anything that others have done to me, instead of retaining rage and anger and other emotions which are negative and, and cause me to have a tendency towards violence, I'm willing to go through an emotional process of forgiving the individual completely for what they have done. But it's an emotional process. It's not something that can be done intellectually. And in fact, if you try to do it intellectually, your iris will reflect the state by showing you that there is no change in the soul. You can only do it emotionally. So there are the two ways that we can engage this process of healing the soul, which will then have a, refle a reflection in the eye. Now, of course, though, we need to un be aware of the structure of emotion. The structure of emotion is generally that we have this underlying causal emotion, which is, you could say, the basis of all of the injuries that appear in the iris. And then we have the fear-based emotions that suppress the underlying causal emotions. And this is, the, this is the cause of our denial of the hurt that we have. And this fear, um, which causes us to suppress the hurt, means that our iris begins to reflect the fear-based uh, denial of the underlying hurt through the blemishes that begin to appear in the iris. Then there is the addictive phase, and the addictive phase is where most people live. Most people live by either meeting their addictions or not, uh, feeling happy when they met, met them or not. And so what we're going to have to do to truly heal our soul and therefore to heal our iris is to actually do two steps first that will have no effect on the iris. The first two steps are working our way through our addictions, coming to see them, and then the second step is coming to feel our fears and work our way through our fears. Once we do those two steps, if you looked at the person's iris after they've done those two steps, there will be very little change in their iris. And so it looks at that point like nothing's happening. It's the third step which is the healing step. The healing step is feeling the underlying causal grief that's present within us and releasing this grief in, an, in over, intensely overwhelming experiences. And these, this grief is related to our definition of love that is within us. And once we redefine love as God's way of love rather than our own way, then you'll find the iris, the blemishes of the eyes start disappearing. And one by one, depending on how rapidly we process through that emotionally, um, there will be the one by one removal from the iris. The issue, though, with rapidity is, uh, is, the, is the issue of how fast can we work through our addictions, how fast can we work through our grief and get to that underlying causal emotion. Well, for some people, they are very resistive to their addictions. And so for many, many years, they, they, they don't work through any of their addictions. Um, other people may more rapidly engage that process. But the beauty is, by the time we get to the release of the causal emotion, we can at least measure the release of the causal emotion by seeing the change to the eye. Can we, uh, <coughs> can we use the right or left iris to help us become more aware of which causal feelings that we need to examine? Yes, as you know from your study of the iris, there's a huge amount of detail 
in both the right and the left iris relating to mother and father-based issues. So the left pertaining a lot to the mother-based issues, the right pertaining a lot to the father-based issues. And you, you can see the reflection of these particular things in the eye. And um, so, so this is a very great many amount of tools. You are, uh, you know, a world-renowned expert, and I know you don't think of yourself that way, uh, about the iris. You've had many, many years of studying it, and you know from your own experience that there is so much detail of what you can tell about a person and their particular emotional injuries just by looking at their eye. So applying the, the law of forgiveness mm -hmm. would, by the examination of my right eye, my father's eye, the masculine functions, I may be able to see what I need to forgive? Certainly. Um, you'll you you be able to be, see two groups of things, I feel. Firstly, what you need to forgive, in other words, what others have done to you that you've either been in denial of or suppressing and what you need to forgive in them as a result of that. The second thing, and just as important in fact, is the, what you need to repent about, the things that you have chosen to do in your unloving state that have caused damage to others are also reflected in your eye. This is the area I feel that not many iridologists have been looking at at all, is this area of the da damage that has been done by the individual to another. Right. Um, we sort of see it as character flaws, but we don't see it as damage in terms of uh, unloving actions or interactions that we've had. We sort of see it as, oh, this is this character trait. That the, and, and we tie to... And from my own experience of uh, visiting iridologists, you often are presenting to the person that it's a character trait that maybe need to be tweaked a bit is the, is the general attitude. You know, a character trait that needs to be just directed in the right direction. Whereas I would see it more as an underlying emotional injury related to how I have damaged other people, my desire to damage other people, which comes from the soul itself. And so it's very important to look at the law of repentance and forgiveness as both directions. We need to look at right. what others have done to us and not deny that and not, not deny the experience of that. But we also need to look at what we have done to others and not deny that and not deny the experience of that. That is the area where most people, I believe, have the trouble. We, we have a lot of ease, generally, at looking at what others have done to us. And when I say a lot of ease, uh, it'd probably be better to say we are at more ease <laughs> of what others have done to us because, unfortunately, we still have a fair bit of denial about that. But when it comes to us looking at what we have done to others, most of us are completely blind <laughs> Um, and it takes a lot of work emotionally to even become aware of the damage we have done to other people. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there are two sides to that. One is the side of the forgiveness, which is the damage caused to me by my parents. Yes, and your environment, not just environment. your parents. Because so you, you, you could have been brought up by grandparents and, okay. and you, you went to school and there's teachers involved in your schooling, particularly up until the age of seven, uh, that could have damaged you. You've got uh, other individuals in your life that could have damaged you, siblings uh, that might have damaged, uh, caused some of this damage up until the age of seven. And so it's to do with your complete environment, of which your parents are the primary uh, cause if they live with you. So if I use my iris, I can examine what I need to forgive, 
even if I may have forgotten or don't feel the feeling of that. Exactly. The beauty of the eye, as you know, is you can read in the person's eye an issue that they have with a parent or, a grand, or, or any person, and you can read the issue even if the person themselves is completely unconscious of the issue. In denial of this. And in total yes. denial of it, yes. So the other half of that is because of that damage, I've produced a activity of, of my personality has damaged other people. Yes. And that also leads into the facade. Exactly. And it also leads into damage to my soul, which is reflected in the iris. So, so because I take actions out of harmony with love, these actions cause damage to my soul. This damage in my soul then gets reflected in my eye. And so my iris becomes a reflection of the damage also that I've done to others, not just to the damage that's been done to me. So I'll use myself for example. I, mm -hmm. I have a, a large mark in my right eye. Mm -hmm related to my father and which is a symbol of authority and so on and mm -hmm. um, not feeling loved or protected or nurtured mm -hmm. and then that would be extended into other forms of authority or male figureheads male teachers or male organizations large banks you know military governments exactly it, exactly until eventually my projection toward them is damaging yes so that part i have to repent for Yes, the projection towards the others is the damaging things you have done to others because of the damage in yourself. And the thing that you need to forgive is the thing that is things that your father did to you. But it's not just a matter of you intellectually deciding, oh, I'm going to forgive and it's all forgiven, as you know. It, there needs to be an emotional process that a person goes through where they feel all the things that have been done to them. So, for example, with your father, you know, when he made you sit on the boat for 14 hours at a time without moving, there is huge amounts of restrictions placed upon you in that moment. You weren't allowed to experience anger. You weren't allowed to move. You weren't allowed to express discomfort. You, you know, you weren't allowed to have any joy. There was, a, there was a deep desire in you just to get away from the whole situation and yet you weren't even allowed to do that because he forced you into this position. And there obviously is going to be quite a lot of feelings that you feel towards your father that you'll need to let yourself feel and release. And once you've released them, you will have forgiven him. But you will not forgive him intellectually until you've released the emotion that you feel. So to really feel these two sides, the sides I need to forgive, the side I need to repent, is where I need the God-based experience to guide me there, to show me the feelings of it? Yes, well, uh, the problem that we all face is that we all generally come at something by our own perspective. So, and uh, unfortunately, because we are injured, our perspective is already flawed. So, so where you and I can observe exactly the same event, and you may feel it was the woman who was unloving, and I might feel it was the male that was unloving, depending upon each of our own unhealed emotional experiences that have caused us to be flawed in our examination of a particular event. Does that make sense? God is never flawed in his examination of any event. That's the beauty of God. The beauty of God is God sees all events as they really are without any desire to manipulate it, without any desire to misconceive it, and without any desire to uh, present it as a facade, without any desire to uh, make it seem better or worse than it was. And God sees everything clearly. 
Now, if you begin to enter this process with God, you have sort of like a guiding point, who can, somebody who can show you what was in harmony with love and what was out of harmony with love. For example, there are many people who believe that they did something wrong when they actually did something right. And the reason why is that when they were little, when they did the same thing right, their parent didn't like it and the parent punished them and so now they believe that it's wrong. So, so how do we find out what's right from God's perspective? The only way we can do it is by engaging this repentance and forgiveness process with God so that the truth of what, you know, of what has really happened from God's perspective can be shown to us. And God has a lot of laws involved to help us do that. So there's a law of uh, attraction that causes our soul, attracts events to it, and we can begin to allow ourselves to work through emotions. And if we do not work through the right emotion, then we keep attracting the same thing. And that's telling us one after the other. I'm attract- if, I, if I attract one thing today and then I have an emotional process and then I attract exactly the same thing tomorrow, then that tells me the emotional process I went through today didn't, call, didn't cause that problem. And something must be something different. And this gives me some feedback to help me go through the process of discovering the truth. If I just rely on my own analysis, then my own analysis will be flawed because the reality is I am flawed because of the injuries and the different facades that I may have created. I will be flawed. And so therefore, everything I see will be seen through a filter of my flaws. But when I start involving God in the process and God's laws in the process, they're, they're, these laws are not flawed and God is not flawed. So God has a true perspective of every event and therefore the, and the law of attraction is a perfect law to bring me the events to show me whether I've dealt with it or not. So, so for example, if we uh, take the example of a woman who has married abusive men in the past and she, she, her last abusive male really harmed her so she left him, she divorced him and she spent some time on her own believing that she had dealt with her underlying causal emotional issues as to why but her iris never changed and ironically the law of attraction will also demonstrate it by showing that she, the next person she attracts will either be one of two different males. It will be a male that she can completely control and dominate which is, the, which is the unloving expression of the injury, or it will be another male who dominates her. And the iris, during that time that she believes she has processed emotion, will have demonstrated that she has not processed the emotion, and therefore her life is uh, demonstrating it also through the law of attraction. So with a, um, a desire, a stronger desire, I can ask God to show me the truth of a specific position in my iris that I may not feel? Yes, God is always trying to show you the truth of every situation. Um, The issue is whether we have a pure desire to know the truth. And that can also be demonstrated in the iris, as you know. When a person has a desire for truth, even that is reflected in the eye. And so we can even see through what's going on in the eyes whether a person even has a desire that they even say they have. And this is the beauty, is the iris helps us strips away, strip away the facade. <laughs> you know, the, the things we tell ourselves that we are, that the iris is plainly showing us differently. <laughs> so, one little side note. Mm-hmm. The eye is the light of the body, or the lamp of the body. Mm-hmm. A biblical verse. 
Can you explain this verse? Yes, it was a statement that I did make in, in the first century because I was aware that, that the eye reflected all of the unhealed emotional condition of the soul and it also reflected all of the truth about the soul. It reflected both. It, was a, it, it wasn't just about the problems. It was also about the purity in the soul as well. And, and I was aware in the first century that the eye was this perfect reflector of everything that was going on in the soul, not just the bad things or the unloving things, but also the good things and the loving things that were happening in the soul. The eye was the perfect reflector. And the more the, the soul becomes bright, the more the brightness is reflected in the eyes of the person, as you know. The more vitality, the more life force they have, the more desire they express, the more passion they have in their life, and you can see it in their eyes. And, of course, generally, you can also see it in the rest of their being, not just their eyes. Is the light of the body the soul? Yes, the, the soul is the light of both bodies, in fact. Um, and in particular, in the first century, I was referring there to the spirit body in particular because the spirit body was an instant reflector of the light in the soul, whereas the physical body is a time-delayed reflector of the light in the soul. And when I say time-delayed, because of the genetic replication processes that exist in the, in the physical body that are much slower in time frame to the genetic replications that are in the spirit body, the physical body responds more slowly to soul-based changes. Uh, but the soul is the light and the two bodies, the spirit body first, reflects the light of the soul and the physical body will also reflect the light of the soul but in a time-delayed sense because of the way in which the physical body's organism replicates itself. So let's just... So the iris gives us an opportunity to have a physical reflection of our soul's progress. Yes, it... it, it it gives us another feedback mechanism. So, for example, if we look at the different feedback me mechanisms that God has given us, we've got the feedback mechanism of the, of the law of attraction. That is a law that God has created to give us feedback about what's happening in our life. We've got the feedback mechanism of the law of compensation, which is this pain-pleasure type response inside of us. Unfortunately, that particular feedback mechanism gets distorted through addiction so you know often we th when we're in addiction we get pain we get pleasure from things that cause us pain and and so we could say um the law of compensation is a slowly forming feedback mechanism in that we have to measure the degradation over time so in other words a person who's an alcoholic who drinks too much may have, may initially feel he's receiving a lot of pleasure from his alcohol but over time his body will eventually start you know, decaying and causing particular problems and his life also will be, become a mess and these particular things uh, show us what is going on in his life. So the law of compensation, which is the law that guides those actions, um, that law is a slowly forming feedback mechanism. You've also... The, uh, when I say slowly forming, please don't misinterpret because, it, because the reality is the law of compensation is instant upon the soul, but unfortunately most of us are in so much denial of the soul that it takes a long time for us to see the results of it. Then we've got the law of attraction. The law of attraction is a much more instant reflector of the soul. It, 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 it's this mechanism that God has made so that every single moment of every single day we can see 
uh, through our life what is happening to us, uh, what must be out of harmony with love and what must be in harmony with love. Now, both of those two things are law-based uh, feedback mechanisms. The problem with them is that if I'm unaware of the law, I will probably not respond to it. And therefore, I will not respond to the feedback mechanism that God has provided. The iris is a physical feedback mechanism. That's the beauty of it, as are our bodies, by the way. The spirit body is also a physical feedback mechanism, and our physical body is a physical feedback mechanism. The difference between our bodies, though, is that our physical body takes longer to feed back because of the, the replication process of the body, usually occurring over seven years. It's, it could be up to seven years' time that we get some feedback about what's, what, what's happening in our soul. With our spirit body, if we could see it, we would see instant reflection of the feedback mechanism. But for most people on earth, they've tuned out of those abilities to see. Many of people had it when they were small, when they were a child. But because of the different uh, um, environmental effects, parents and others thinking they're crazy by talking to spirit friends and all of those kind of things, the child eventually tuned out of those particular awarenesses and so therefore can no longer see their own sp spiritual body. So now we've taken away another feedback mechanism for us to see what's going on at the soul. But, but it's very hard to remove the eye as a feedback mechanism. So the beauty is that God's given us so many feedback mechanisms, but there's this one feedback mechanism that's very physical and ever-present in our life, and that is our iris. And, and the reality is every time we look in the mirror, we have the opportunity to see it. Yes, we do. So let me just get this, because I'd like to be able to do this. I'd <coughs> like to be able to examine my own irises, my right eye for my father traits or things acquired from the environment through the male influence, mm -hmm. the left from the feminine influence and the mother, and to examine these traits, these character blemishes, whatever they may be, to feel them, to examine, feel them, ask for uh, divine truth to reveal what I need to forgive or repent mm -hmm. in this place. Mm -hmm. And then stay with this over a period of weeks or months and, and stay in the process. Yes. And part of this process is to observe maybe what my addictions might be relative to that position, find the fear, yep. feel the feeling of the fear, find the feeling. Yes. Remember that it's going to be very difficult to repent or to forgive without looking at those uppermost layers that are not reflected in the iris as easily. And these are uppermost layers, uh, the layers of addiction. And so this layer of addiction we need to do a lot of sincere work with, um, but, but this sincere work will not easily be reflected in the iris. You won't see huge changes in the iris when you do that work. These are the facade and therefore they're not the real soul. And, and it's only changing the real soul that changes the iris. So, so the facade, while, it, while we can see some of the facade in the iris, um, it's more to do with changing the underlying emotions that cause this facade that will cause the iris to change. So we need to make sure that we do not neglect the addiction phase of dealing with these and remember that all addictions are created because of the fears that we have. So, so we are afraid of feeling a certain feeling. So what we do is we create an addiction that somebody else you know, gives us a feeling so that we don't have to feel 
the feeling we're afraid of. So if we're afraid of being lonely, we create a life that's very busy and uh, with a lot of people in it, and then we don't have to feel lonely. Mm -hmm. If we are okay feeling lonely, then we won't do that. It's only the things that we're afraid of that cause us to create our addictions. The, <coughs> the addictions need to be felt and they need to be released uh, before we'll get to our fears. And then our fears, as we're feeling our fears and our, our grief will very rapidly come up. So the, the hard work, I feel, is the work that is not reflected so much by the iris, which is uh, the work related to the addiction process and getting rid of those addictions. The easier work, once you get into it, is the work dealing with your fears and your grief. And when you're sincerely in those emotions, your iris will reflect the change. So my fears, which for me in many ways will correspond to some of the positions, whether it's fear of abandonment, fear of being controlled, fear of criticism, mm -hmm. the, some of the major ones, you know, fear of abandonment's big for many people, fear of criticism, yes. fear of being controlled. If I look at those positions and I have them, then I need to recognize that there are fears existing within me, even though I may not be currently feeling it. Exactly. And this is the beauty of the iris too, is that you can look into the iris and see the fears that the person has without the person being conscious that those fears exist. But their soul is telling you through their eye that those fears are in their soul. You know what might be interesting is I have a, a picture of some eyes here. Maybe yep, yep. Mary can zoom in on these two here on the upper left. You'll see those that have the brown dots with, with a little arrow that indicates one of them. And the one next to it has the little open webs. Okay. Put it down there. Yeah. This will give the viewing audience an opportunity to see what we're talking about physically. And there's many, many different characteristics. Well, as, as you know, there are no two eyes alike. They're all fingerprints. <laughs> Even the left and right the, eye, the left of, and right <laughs> eye are different. <laughs> of yes. the same person is never alike. Even identical twins. Exactly. They uh, have different irises. And this is very important to understand. And this is, the reason why is because we all uh, have a different nature in our soul and we also have a, a, a different set of pure personality traits that God created. And then, of course, we all have a different set of circumstances. So even, even members of the same family have a different set of circumstances under which they were born. Some, some were born first, some were born second, some were born last, some were born male, some were born female, some were born when, when mother and father were going through turmoil, some were born when mum and dad were going through you know, a lot of joyful times. And so every single one of these things has an effect on the iris at one or the other of the layers. And then what the person chooses to do out of harmony with love once they start uh, exploring their own free will also has an effect on, uh, on what's happening to the iris. And, and so the beauty of looking at the eye is that you see everything about the person, the, the beautiful personality traits of the individual along with those flawed traits which are, occur through the injury process. And, uh, and the other thing that we can do is see the things they are in denial of. 
That is the beauty of it. You can look into the iris and see the thing that the person themselves can't even see in their own life. Or you thought you dealt with. Or that you thought you had dealt with, yeah. On some intellectual level. Yes. And as you know, uh, there are many people who think they have dealt with many things, but then when you look in the iris, you go, still there. Still there. So uh, this is an indication that they have not dealt with that particular thing. Well, you've set the bar pretty high (laughs) to, to change the iris like this and to demonstrate that these laws of um, compensation which are automatic but the laws of love and repentance and even the application of humility can actually penetrate into these levels and we can see the results yes what i like about what god has done danny is that god has given us so many feedback mechanisms to teach us the truth about ourselves and and you know when we deny one of them such as you know the law of attraction and what happens in my day-to-day life Um, we can't deny some of them like what happens to our eye (laughs) we can't deny you know what's going on with it It, when we look in the mirror every day it's there we can make out by not looking but but if we go along to some kind of iridologist who practices looking at the eye from an emotional perspective and and what's really going on within you know in the eye as a reflection of what's going on within the nature of the individual is it the the information is undeniable do we still engage in the natural health world of supplements and remedies and uh, processes and allopathic, naturopathic tools while we're doing this or not? Well, I I do believe there are many what I would call effect-based remedies that do help the soul process its emotion. For for example, um, I personally have found... uh, um, massage is a very great, a great way of, of accessing some emotion that I probably would not have been able to personally access easily. Um, and so some of these effect-based processes or procedures that a person may follow um, certainly have their role. We just need to stop seeing them as a cure. Yes. We need to see them as a role of reducing pain or reducing the effects of a life uh, you know, that is lived out of harmony at the soul level. We, we need to understand that. We need to, we, we need to see that you know, reducing pain does have a uh, role in our lives. The question we've got to ask, though, is, that, uh, is how loving it is to reduce pain or, the, or reduce the effect of something when somebody is unwilling to address the cause. It's a bit like uh, saying to a smoker, um, look, you need to give up smoking. And there are some countries that actually say, we will not operate on you unless you give up smoking. Because if you continue smoking, you're just going to keep causing this same problem and then we're going to have to operate again and operate again. And at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, how much is this caused by you? You know? And there are some countries now who will actually deny procedures to a person who is actively engaged in trying to make their life work. And it's only under emergency circumstances that they would actually engage a procedure. And I feel these particular decisions are loving because the reality is if a person continues to choose unloving behaviour, they cannot expect to have the effects of that unloving behaviour removed from them. So, so this is an important thing that we need to address. If, if we are focused only on removing the effects of things that are occurring in the soul, 
without the person who's coming to be healed or the person who, who is, you know, whose body it is having any desire to address the underlying causes, then at some point from a medicine perspective and from an economical perspective we've got to, uh, and from a sincerity perspective, we've got to ask the person, are you really sincere about fixing this problem? Because, because the reality is if you're going to still continue actions that harm your soul and therefore harm your bodies and, and expect somebody else to come along and fix them for you, that's not a very loving act. Well, that's 99% <laughs> of the therapeutic world and, and the allopathic or the naturopathy world. They're all engaged in the symptoms, including psychotherapists. I agree, but what I have noticed is people who... like for, If we choose one of those uh, therapies, let's say psychotherapy... If you go along to a psychotherapist who is willing to tell you the truth, the unblemished, unadulterated truth, and who is unwilling to treat you unless you do something about the truth, then you will have a large degree of respect for that individual. You will also have this internal soul attraction to them that seems to happen. So you see, our soul is attracted to truth. And unbeknown to many of us, we, we, we are automatically attracted to truth. In fact, if you think about it, the reality is for most of us, when we are lied to, we feel very hurt. So this is an indication of how our soul is built to want the truth eventually, even if it's unpleasant. And, and I believe very strongly that any people that are brave enough in the medical profession to address issues from a truthful, soul-based cause will always find their practice successful. Even if they gave away their service for free, they would find they would live a very good life because there'd be many very thankful people who'd want to come to them. The issue is breaking the mould away from the effect-based medicine and into causal-based medicine, medicine that addresses the actual issues rather than just solving the effect. The there are industries, of course, that would suffer from this kind of medicine. So, for example, the pharmaceutical industry would definitely suffer from this kind of medicine in the sense that many pharmaceuticals are produced primarily to reduce effects and have very little effect on the cause. But if you look at the behaviour of the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical profession generally, or particularly the organisations themselves, you can see that there are many unethical choices that they're currently making anyway. So they're, they're already doing things that are damaging their own iris <laughs> and damaging their own soul through the processes. So, so I feel if uh, there were a group of people in the world who were willing to change their medicine into addressing causes of the problems rather than the effects, you would find that there would be a great honouring of these people through all people on the planet would honour these people and honour their time and honour their effort eventually. And, and in fact, after a while, it would become such the norm on the planet that pharmaceuticals would be the, un, the, the thing that are not normal. But, but uh, and I just feel that at some point it just needs to have the courage of a few of these men and women who have a deep and strong desire to help people, uh, you know, deal with their pain and deal with their suffering. 
I feel if, 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 if even just a few of them can engage this process in a proactive manner, you will find great results. And, and the other thing we need to remember is that all of God's laws support the most loving and the most truthful action. And, and so all of God's laws are going to support any person who chooses to focus on the soul uh, as, as the method of curing the bodies rather than focusing on the effect-based, body-based, uh, you know, me medicinal and therapy, uh, therapeutic actions. Um, I'm not saying, though, that these actions do not have a role because I do believe at some point they do have a role uh, but in particular, they have a role to introduce the person to the soul-based cause. So a person may initially come along to a medical uh, practitioner saying, look, I've got this uh, you know, problem with my heart, you know, can you give me a pill? <laughs> and, if that, and if that MP decided um, to instead go, well, did you realise that every problem with your heart is actually related to you know, some emotion in your soul relating to grief? Mm -hmm. Have you given that any consideration? You know, and what I would like to do is work with you uh, beside giving you a pill to help you with your heart. Um, I would li like to instead also work with you on this other issue. And in fact, to be frank with you, I don't want to give you another prescription for other pills after you've finished this lot unless you're willing to go and deal with the actual cause, then there'd be a, a lot more positive responses, I feel, from the general population. If I notice a particular position in my iris that relates to the liver, and I'm willing to process the feelings that correspond to that related to my family and my environment, and I also want to clean or stimulate that with medicinal herbs, for example. Is that acceptable? Definitely. Um, in fact, I think preferable. Um, the reason why is because the soul, the reason why the liver is having a malfunction of its own is because the soul has a certain bottling up of certain types of emotions. As you know, a lot of them are related to anger, frustration and those kind of emotions. And, and as a result of that, this concentrates in the area where the liver is. Um, so as you work through the soul-based causes, the liver will obviously heal itself through the process. However, if you can aid the speed of the healing of the physical organ, obviously your pain will lessen quite dramatically during the process. So, so of course you want to help your body um, go through this process of cleansing itself as a result of the underlying cause. You see, when the soul itself has a problem that is blocked emotionally, it affects the body in the same location, and the body itself uh, gathers toxins and gathers toxicity. And as a result, both bodies actually, the physical and the spirit body, gather toxicity in that location. So, so if you can do therapeutic things to aid the toxicity of your body in those locations, then that is certainly going to have a positive effect. But if you do that without addressing the emotion in the soul, you won't have any long-term benefit. Right. right. Or you'll be doing that physical thing for the rest of your existence. You'll be taking a certain herb with a certain medicinal property to, to heal your liver for the rest of your life, and you still won't heal your liver because you'll probably die from something related to the liver. Um, but, but you may have extended your life quite significantly. 
better though to actually deal with the physical cause the the actual cause which exists in the soul of the individual the emotion that is present if you deal with that then the you will not need to take these medicinal herbs or other or other things therapeutically for a long period of time you'll just need to take it for a short period of time aiding your body in the process of its recovery and then after that you'll feel oh i don't need that anymore and and you'll have to be dispensed with all of them would you say that one of the primary medicines is water Cer certainly and when you say that's probably the best medicine on earth maybe is water certainly particularly if it's nice pure water not water that's been added to or polluted by some uh, chemicals or or through some chemical process you certainly helped me learn that one <laughs> <laughs> but but the reality is that uh, wa water is an amazing thing for the body because it, it's the vehicle via which all toxicity in the physical body can be released if you release the soul-based cause of the toxicity so so I can drink a lot of water and it will release initially quite a lot of toxins from my body but, but if I do not address the underlying soul-based cause of this build-up of toxins in my physical form then what will happen is my body will just start accumulating more toxins that I'll have to release again and accumulating more. And this is why people go on regular detoxes because the reality is there is the underlying soul-based cause for the, for the toxification of the body and that is not being addressed. The body uh, absorbs um, you know, toxins throughout its experience and then, and then we might go through a detoxifying process which clears away the toxins but in the end two years later or five years later we'll have to do the same thing again because we have not addressed the underlying physical cause which is based on the soul-based cause that is affecting both bodies. But the beauty of water too is that it become, can help us become a lot more conscious of what's going on. Uh, the beauty of water is that it, it is one of the ways in which all forms of uh, beings communicate with each other through, through water and, and spirit beings are able to communicate with us more easily if we drink more water. And this uh, allows us to become more conscious of different things that we would not be conscious of normally. In addition, um, water is a, a, a beautiful way uh, of replenishing the body and keeping the body in a healthy state. So, so I feel water is a very essential part. In fact, to me, that's the main medicine, if you like, of a person who's in soul-based recovery. Any soul-based work that a person does needs to be accompanied by the drinking of a lot of water. Soul-based recovery. We have to recover our souls, yes? There's, that's right. Like, uh, if you think of it, what's happened is that we've got this beautiful, pristine soul that God created that had no awareness of itself at the time, once it incarnated onto the planet and began an experience, it began this experience of gaining self-awareness. But unfortunately, because of the suppression of the environment and also uh, facade-based suppressions that have occurred through our own choice uh, and our own unloving, unloving behaviour, we've caused a toxification in our soul, as it were. And these are emotions that are present within our soul. And the reality is that we need to allow ourselves to work our way through these particular things if we're ever going to feel any benefit to our, to our bodies permanently. Let me just ask you a couple more questions. All of the uh, causal feelings that are causing the marks of the iris, are they all ultimately related to my relationship to God? Um. 
they'll be related uh, primarily to your relationship to a number of things, not just to God. Obviously, God will be the primary thing that they're related to. But uh, in particular, they're related to the aspect of love. So the, re the reality is that we can heal a lot in our body even if we're not connecting with God or we have no desire to connect to God. We can heal a lot in our body just by connecting with our causal emotional experiences. Um, but there is uh, two other essential parts too, I believe, and that is this, uh, the injuries with the connection to yourself, which are all related generally to the same gender injuries that you have with your, with your same gender parent. Um, and also the injuries you have related to the other half of yourself, your soulmate. And these, these three basic things, God first, and then yourself, meaning including your half of yourself and your other half of yourself, these three primary things cause much of our, the damage that's occurred to our soul. The next layer is the things that we've done to others of God's children. So if we added together the primary damage that we have within our soul, you'll find it's to do with God first, ourselves or our mate second, and then what we've done with other people third, and then what we've done with the environment fourth. So, you know, the reality is there are things that we've done to the environment that have also caused damage to our soul and therefore had a reflection in our iris. And these things are all possible to be cured within us at the soul level. So it's not just the relationship with God that needs to be uh, cured or, or, or repaired, but rather a relationship with all things around us that needs to be repaired. Well, AJ, what else do you have left for me in the iris? I, I've just about run out of my bag of questions. <laughs> well, I think the next discussion we have perhaps needs to focus on a bit more technicalities perhaps of you know, uh, different emotional things that you've noticed in the iris. I know Mary has a thing that she wanted to raise, but um, you haven't got a, any microphone, so... Um, yeah, just say it say to us. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah. So, so, so perhaps I could ask you a few questions. All right. <laughs> in the, in the, and maybe you could explain to our audience what, what has been your background with the iris itself and what you've noticed in the iris and why you have been attracted to the teachings of divine truth as a result of what you have observed. So perhaps if we start first with, uh, with the iris itself and what you have observed generally... Well, my passion for the iris began um, some 35 years ago as a result of some experiences I had where I began to recognize that the I was the light, the light within me. Mm -hmm. And um, then I started examining the iris as it related to the soul. So for me, the iris was always the soul. Yes. So anytime I, I would look at a person, I, I felt I was looking at the cathedral of the soul. Awesome, yes. And um, as a result of that, some people said to me, well, you, you must be an iridologist. And I go, well, what's that? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> and it's, well, go down to the health food store, and there's a large book that will tell you all about the iris and its many defects. Mm -hmm. And I went and got that book, and I, um, I put it down. Because what I saw it really do was reflect on the 
negative conditions of the body, but no reference to the existence of the structure of the soul. Yeah. Because for me, the, the real value of, of the iris is how to see one's soul mm. and how to be able to occupy more of one's soul. Mm -hmm. So slowly, the... Um, and did you also see, when you looked at the iris, positive things about a person's soul, not just negatives? Yes, yeah. I primarily focus on what were their natural abilities that they had, yeah. they felt, whether it was with words or art or music or movement. Yeah. You can see these natural abilities of their soul. Yes. And um, slowly w what came was a, a, a series of experiences about how to help somebody occupy more of their soul. Right. To do that, it was necessary to examine the relationship to the father in the right eye and the mother in the left eye mm -hmm. as it related to men and women and authority and so on and so on. And that was my, my progress for many years. Yes. And um, I examined uh, tens of thousands of people and... Uh, made charts, uh, made laborious, detailed charts of all the positions. Yes. And I, I constantly asked God to show me, mm -hmm. show me the meaning of this position. And then, according to the law of attraction, which I didn't call it then, yeah, yeah. they would start arriving, yes. right, with exactly that position in the iris. So you would uh, have a group of people all of a sudden start turning up with exactly the same yes. problem. the same position. In the same position. The same, and they, they would start to instruct me about what it was in their life. Yeah. And then I would take that information and compare it to other people and gradually begin over mere, uh, years developing the positions and understanding it. Right. And that was really my passion, was to connect to the soul. Yeah. Because for me, every, every iris was a fingerprint. So this was connecting to one divine soul, which was to me was like a reflection of God. If I yeah. could love this soul the way they are, then I would have a little closer relationship to know God. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the way I began to do this work. And then I started building the maps of the irises related to brothers and sisters and mother and father and trying to track one position where it progressed through the family as a pattern of how it was continued in their, their genetic code or their environment, how mothers and fathers transfer this. So, so during this phase, you were starting to see the linkage between grandparents, great-grandparents, right the way down through the lineage to a person, both on the mother's and father's side. Yes. Yeah. And then I really began to wonder, you know, when does all of this happen? So then I started photographing a series of children yeah. and got all the way down to several times going into the operating room when a child is being born. Wow. A friend of mine ended up having a cesarean. You yeah. know, and I, I actually filmed the cesarean and then took it over to the baby to, photo to film the structure of the iris. Oh, okay. Right, to, yeah. see to see if there was any linkages between. What is there at birth? Mm. Mm -hmm. So then we got uh, very good cameras and photographed babies. Mm -hmm. Gradually, we photographed all the way up through, you know, 15, 20 years of iris formations. Yes. And then we began And did you trace many of these people uh, over their life? Yes. yes. We, we had, well, a number of them for, oh, under 30 years. Yeah. yeah. But, but that was about my limit because I, I started to drop it after a while. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was most interested in the formation of the iris by the layers, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, so that there were no brown spots or general colorations in very young babies. Mm -hmm. 
and their their eyes would change color over a period of weeks or months. Mm-hmm. You could actually see eyes that were blue gradually become brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, began to watch this form according to the developments of the child when they began to develop the will and the mind. Mm-hmm. And you could see that the brown dots would gradually fill in until about the age of seven or eight. Yeah. Very few of them actually formed after eight. Yeah. Though we have photographic evidence of some of them forming. Yeah. Right? Only one very large brown dot was I able to form in, uh, see form in somebody's eyes after the age of 30. Right. Yeah. I've not been able to photograph any of these characteristics leave the iris. Yes. So once they formed, they seemed to become a perf- permanent part of the iris. Yes. So, you know, when I was first invited to go back to the first International Congress of Iridologists in the world, and it used to be taught that the iris changed if you did the right supplements. Yeah. And all these lines would fill in. I, yeah. I could not confirm any of that. Yeah. So yeah. when I first stood up and say, oh, by the way, I don't see the iris change at all. <laughs> boy, oh boy, did I receive some angry, addictive reactions on that one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now it's not taught anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty well confirmed from a lot of studies the iris doesn't change. Yeah. There's also some very um, well-documented scientific studies in Sweden yeah. which are now have scientifically confirmed that you can see mental attributes and personality in the iris for the first time. Yes. So yeah. that part's been confirmed. Yeah. And its relationship to the... Uh, is it genetic in the iris? Now it's confirmed that the iris is a genetic reflection. Yes. They don't want to yet deal with the existence of the soul. Of the emotional reflections right. that come down through the genetic structure. So yeah. for me, it was uh, over a period of years gradually doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, then came the the sequence of children and how that related. The yes. birth order processes came. Yes. And um, then I started to want to know how to access the deepest qualities of the soul. And what came as part of the work was I, I used to begin to, to do the humility. Well, I used to call it clarity and free will. Yeah. And then I, I got a, a video with you on it, and you were describing humility in such an illumined, expanded way. Clarity was truth, right? And mm-hmm. then free will was desire. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was just a, a natural sequence to exactly what I was doing. Mm. And you don't even know who gave you that video. No, I, somebody <laughs> from Australia sent me a video that I just, well, maybe my guide said, here, watch here, this watch video, this, right? Yeah, yeah. I turned it on and uh, it took me an hour and, and I knew you were, you were speaking the truth. Mm. And um, now the application of that truth to be able to well, help myself and others access and occupy our soul, soul recovery. Yes. To really occupy and embody the soul's experience yes. as God originally intended it. Yeah, and designed us to do. Yes, mm. and so now this, the science of this and being able to apply it to the iris to aid our brothers and sisters to be able to encourage them to continue the progression. Yeah. Sometimes for me it's not easy to always be in the feeling of something invisible, God, with yeah. my mind, yeah. it's invisible, with my soul's invisible, yeah. my intentions and my desires are invisible except for the reflection. And except for the fact that you feel them. Yes, and <laughs> we feel them, but you know, how do you... Well, the iris actually can become a measuring instrument for being able to show the progression. Mm. That can be you know, very motivating for myself and others to say, ah, 
now we're finally getting it where we really want it to be in the beginning. We want to occupy the soul, and here's how. Here's the science of how to get there. And also heal the effects of a soul that has been harmed. Uh, that, that I feel is a great appeal as well. And I think there's also a really valuable lesson for parents to see the structure of the condition of a, a child's iris is forming mm-hmm. where they have the responsibility to be aware of what their causal feelings are that are being projected onto the child. Yes. Yeah. You know, look, your child is being affected by your actions. Yes. I think we have to say the truth that they have responsibility. Of course they do. This will change the relationship to children from many of their parents. Yes, I I was often thinking, Denny, that through through that experience of yours, how God is always trying to bring us into more scientific truth as well as into personal truth. And I don't know if you've found that, but I, I can see, you know, in the private discussions we've had with you, how God's trying to help you understand more scientific truth, more actual physical evidence that then supports a certain theory that you've started out with that now you are quite certain about as a fact rather than a theory. And and I feel this is a beautiful process that God takes us through of of wanting us to understand the truth in all aspects, in all ways of life. And and I feel this, uh, I was talking to Mary this morning about the difference between, generally, the difference between religion and science. And and the reality I said to Mary is that, look, I classify myself as a scientist and not a religionist. The reason why is a scientist should be open to all presentation of truth in any manner. And I don't believe there are many scientists on the planet that are actually open to all presentation of truth in any manner. And I feel they have often a very firm idea of where the truth should come from and that's what they follow. And I I feel if you had taken that course of action, you would have been more like a religionist than a scientist in the sense that you would have gone into a belief system believing this is how I want it to be and I'll acknowledge all of the things that seem to prove that that's how it is and I'll push aside all of the things that seem to prove that that's not how it is and uh, I'll only accept the things that I believe I can accept with a few modifications. And I feel in some, in some ways you're a more pure, purest scientist <laughs> in the sense that you're willing to start with a blank page, if you, as it were, and then build upon it through an experience uh, that, and through measuring uh, and then eventually come up with some uh, form of understanding about those particular things that you would not have normally come up with if you'd started with a very clear concept. Well, people often say, well, you're an iridologist. I, go, I don't really know what iridology <laughs> is, but I, I am a mathematician. <laughs> I, I like the, the math of the iris. I, yeah. I like the precision of where things are. Mm-hmm. And even in the structure of the iris itself, there's a series of very specific regions like rings, mm-hmm. right? And these rings are highly mathematical to me. And Ring number three is related to truth. So when I, when I uh, got the first uh, explanation from you about the worlds and level three, the lesson there being uh, about the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Aha. Mm-hmm. So level number three is about, the, the ring truth. number three is about the truth. Yeah. And, and the uh, level number four, the same lessons that you have on the world number four. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting that the structure of the iris is almost like a structure of the universe. 
Yes. So it's there. It's you know, it's a microcosm of everything. And this is also something that God has done very regularly, and that is shown us little things, and then help, basically stating to us that we can see from these little things that there are much bigger things that we could examine using the same technique. Exactly. So, yeah. well, for me, the iris is reflected in the face, is reflected in the hands and mm -hmm. the feet and the body and the structure and you know the universe. Yes. So by being able to more fully occupy our own soul, we fully occupy the divine universe. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why I'm here. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's very fascinating. I, I'm only here because you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just simply the truth. Yeah, I mean, who can yeah. deny the truth of what is the truth, right? Yeah, yeah. well, there's a lot that do that, too. Well, <laughs> they'll come around eventually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, I feel the, the important thing is that for people to understand, I feel a lot of the times, is that we need to we need to have this really strong desire for the truth that's so strong that we're willing to give up preconceived notions of what we believe the truth to be and and i feel that a lot of people have very very strong resistance to that concept uh, the concept of giving up m my own ideas in favor of a more truthful idea and, uh, and I feel that's something that you seem to reflect as well, an individual. You know, individual. one of the most interesting things that happened to me is <clears throat> I, for a long time I was examining my own eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to have uh, an apartment where I had four of the old projectors, you know, with the, would burn out the little lamps, mm -hmm. and I'd have them on all the walls, and I'd walk around, <laughs> and I'd touch them and look at them, and they were on for weeks and months. <laughs> and then I, I had this... Um, well, you know, law of attraction. I, I attracted a, a feeling reaction with a woman who I just fell in love with, and I go, wait. So I, I had her eyes photographed, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, I have to see the reality. So I have to see. <laughs> this. So I got my eyes and projected and put my eyes up next to her, um. and I found that the causal things that she had would fit like nut and bolt into mine. Yes. So the irises of people we're attracted to would just exactly be able to fit into and trigger, trigger my causal feelings. And also... And call this love. Yeah, and call this love. It's almost like that, that addiction, if you like, that, that, or the codependency being perfectly reflected in each other. So then I, I began to photograph, well many, many thousands of couples yeah. and to look at the types of couples that came together to act out their uh, attractions. Yes. So you can see the one who had damage with the mother is attracted to somebody who has damage with the father and they're yeah. exactly in the right place to, to tickle it to all To tickle up, each other's right? fancy. <laughs> and we call this love. Exactly. It's sad, isn't it? Uh, no. Well, I, I don't know. It's a divine plan. You know? Well, it's a, it, yeah, and this is the beauty, I think, of uh, studying the iris in a lot more detail with a lot, with a lot of... Uh, background information about couples, family traits, children, yes. parents, and the beauty of, of seeing all of these things accurately is that it can tell you so much about the soul, so much about to the get soul. photographs of our young children's eyes and to lay them out and uh, be responsible adults to look at what they have and to help them guide through it, help them understand it. Yeah, and also look at what they have and ask, uh, okay, 
I see something that's brown developing in their eye. Let's look at the photograph of my eye. Does it happen to be in the same place? <laughs> yeah. Because if it isn't happening to be in the same place, you've got to start questioning where it came from. Yeah. So this is, so this is why I, I really enjoy the iris in this way and how mm. to use it as a divine instrument. Yeah. Yeah. You have another suggestion, Mary? Just a question. Yeah. You might want to aim or sit in front of one of the cameras so that the sound of what you're saying will come out. All right. Why don't I just do a wide angle and I'll come and come stand beside you. Or you can sit on my lap. Ah, that sounds nice. <laughs> so from what you guys are saying about the iris is that at two we start to see the appearance of dark spots. And then beyond that, uh, they keep appearing until the age of, say, seven or eight. Denny, that's what you've observed. Yeah, mostly. There has been further appearances even up to 30 years of age, yes. yeah. but, but it's rare for that to occur. Yeah. Mm. So my question is, what are we seeing? Are we seeing the appearance of causal emotion? Because, oh, sorry, uh, we know that there's causal emotion, then we create our own soul damage based on our avoidance of that causal emotion. But if we're not... And, I mean, I feel that long into my adulthood, I've been creating more soul damage by avoiding my causal emotion. But I can answer the question straight away. Exactly. The, the, the issue is that you are, you're, you're seeing the denial of causal emotion being created in the iris. See, if the causal emotion was created through an experience and the person allowed themselves to fully experience the experience, then the emotion would not have been created and the, the, and the spot would not have been created. The, the spot only gets created because of an event that has occurred that the person did not allow themselves to fully experience. And um, so that's why we see it as a spot and then from then on as we continue to avoid that we generate more soul damage that's not necessarily reflected in the eye but that denial is always showing and when we actually visit that place and release it that should clear exactly yes. 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 so and this is why i believe events that have occurred that's okay uh, this is why i believe two events have occurred like in a person's life there are some events that are traumatic events that occur in a person's life after their teenage life if you like that um, that obviously would have a causal effect in the eye itself and, and but but most of the time most of these events would be related to some prior event yes and, and this is uh, and this is why you don't see a major change in many persons eyes but but there are times when when you see a major change in the eye this is when a causal emotion has been introduced into the soul without the soul being f allowed to fully experience the emotion now we have the denial of that emotion which creates the particular blemish so um, so that's basically what we've been we've been saying uh, you're talking again so you need to sit <laughs> and you just walked in front of another camera <laughs> sorry <laughs> there's only three of us here today exactly <laughs> but for the man who had the uh, blemish appear in his eye at 30 or something that Denny related it would be fascinating to look at his history wouldn't it because well, it would be fascinating to ask him about his life as to what happened at that age or just prior to that age that caused that particular blemish. And I believe what you would find is that there was some... Un 
it would be some unloving event uh, yeah. through his choice. And the problem with many people is they don't want to admit to their unloving events or sometimes they don't even know them. And so they might not even know or understand the event. However, the location of the blemish will tell you what the event was related to. And so you could actually assist them by discussing with them the location of the blemish and then assist them to find what must be the event that was related to that kind of blemish that happened uh, as, as they were older. Yeah. Obviously, it's harder to do that when they're a child because the child's not really cognizant of those particular developments. Yeah. Well, mm. you've certainly opened the door to use this tool. Now, for me, I, I have to live it which is to be able to show how the science of this works and to do these photographs and come back in a number of months and show you the difference. Yeah, and the, the, it's going to be very interesting because um, in a lot of ways, remember, there's the layer of uh, addictions and the layers of fears that need to be addressed, particularly the addictions uh, that need to be addressed in people before they will start getting to some of these causes. And that's what's going to be the frustrating thing from a person who's studying the process because unless the person sincerely addresses the addictions and gets into the actual cause, there will be little reflection in the iris. And so, you know, it may appear like people are actually doing work on, them, on their soul, but unless the iris is reflective of a change then it means that there was no work done. And those people are going to also be quite frustrated, the fact that they have dealt with what they believe to be many emotions, and yet there is no reflection in their iris. Mm. Well, we have work to do. <laughs> it's, so it's going to be interesting experimenting, I feel, with those particular avenues of experiments yes, and, yes, and seeing what the outcome is. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions, Barry? No, no. <laughs> thanks for letting me hijack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, thanks very much, uh, yeah, Danny, for the, taking the Delightful. time to do this. Yeah, we'll do a couple more interviews before we leave here in Brasilia. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, I feel it's a good start to, to looking at more experimentation with the eye and, uh, and examining the true cause of what, uh, what happens to the eye. I also liked uh, your... An, you know, your feelings that the eye, is, and this is something that I agree with a lot, is that the eye is a reflection of everything in the soul, not just the injuries of the soul. And this, yes. is, this is where we can help people also yes. see the beauty of their underlying personality. I feel a lot of people yes. have had a deep levels of suppression of their underlying uh, personality, and this suppression... Uh, can be aided by by looking into the eye and and talking to a person. Oh, you have this ability and you have this ability. These are abilities that you're not recognizing within yourself that that you can actually begin to embrace. It helps them to locate their personal passion. Exactly. It gives them the vitality that moves all the energy. Exactly. So there's a lot of positive uh, things that you can take from the iris as well and help a person with their desires as you know from what i've been teaching people it's not only just important to address the underlying emotional injuries that are out of harmony with love but it's also very important to start looking at the desires that a person has that are in harmony with love and and that are a part of the nature that god created in them so i feel uh an, ir an iridologist, if we can call them that, um, 
would uh, would be able to have a, a very positive effect on a person's life in both of those areas, not just in the area of examining the injury. If they're well trained. If they're well trained. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably true for everything. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, yeah. Denny. Yeah.